Blog Talk Radio. The Four Persons Inc. is a federally registered and licensed 501c3 charity. Any use of any of our content without our permission is prohibited by law. Our purpose is evangelization, education, and social action. Please go to our website at thefourpersons.com or our blog site at thefourpersons.net to make your tax-deductible donation by credit or debit card. You can also send a check to The Four Persons, Inc., P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, Virginia, 20113. To contact us, send us an email at email at thefourpersons.com. Welcome to the Saturday Burnt Toast and Coffee Show with apologist William Hemsworth on the Four Persons Network. William is passionate about teaching the faith. He is a convert that attended a Baptist seminary. He is a father and a catechist that will encourage you to live the faith, evangelize, and defend it. To call into the show, the number is 515-602-9655. Once again, the phone number to call into the show is 515-602-9655. Hey everyone, William Hemsworth here and welcome to the Burnt Toast and Coffee Show here on the Four Persons Network. Hope everyone is having a blessed day. Wow, time is flying, isn't it? I mean, think about it, y'all. Christmas is almost here. Like, we are... Just a little over one week away to Christmas being here. I mean, that's just unbelievable to me. 2023 has almost come to a close. I mean, wow. Now, tomorrow, third Sunday of Advent. Now, our topic today is actually idolatry in the Old Testament. And specifically, we're going to talk about it in the prophets. But before we get to that, Let's talk about this third Sunday of Advent, because it's special day. So the last couple of weeks we have, on the Advent wreath, we see a purple candle being lit. Tomorrow, we see a pink candle. And you may see your priest and deacon dress in pink vestments. But don't you dare call them pink. No, 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 no. No, my friends. That's a mistake. They'll be quick to correct you. In fact, all of us, every single one of us tomorrow are going to hear, it's not pink, it's rose. Come on, you know it's true. If you've been Catholic for any length of time, you know you've heard that statement. It's not pink, it's rose. And you know what's interesting, my friends, is I saw a uh, comic about this a couple years ago. And it's about a priest in his rose vestments. And a couple altar servers in the back. And the altar servers are talking to each other. And one altar server says, why is Father wearing pink? The other one answers, it's not pink, it's rose. Because Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't pink from it. So I thought that was kind of enlightening from a little comic strip that I saw. Well, let's talk about, I want to talk about this third Sunday of Advent just a little more before we get into our, the stated topic 
uh, today. Gaudete Sunday. That's uh, kind of how it's known. Gaudete Sunday. So the traditions around this go back as far as the fourth or fifth century. Pretty much just like just like Advent itself. Okay. So Advent, um, what is a preparation for Christmas? It was originally a forty-day penitential season like Lent. And it began on November 12th, just after the memorial of St. Martin of Tours. And it was originally called St. Martin's Lent. And so, Gaudete Sunday is like the Advent equivalent of Lateri Sunday. And I know I probably butchered that word there. But it marks the midpoint. Okay, the midpoint of the season. So, on Gaudete Sunday, the season of Advent shifts a focus, if you will. So, the first two weeks of Advent, we're preparing for the Lord. The Lord is coming. Okay, the Lord is coming. We're preparing. We're preparing for the birth of our King, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's going to save us from our sins. Now, with God at day Sunday, we kind of shift to the Lord is near. So it's a lighter mood, and there's more of like a joyous anticipation. Okay, so it's like the, it's it's this midpoint where okay, it's almost here. It's, we're getting excited now. Let's do this thing. And so the colors lighten, and so the priest wears rose-colored vestments. Okay, and on that on God at Sunday we light the third candle of the Advent wreath. Because so the word God is a Latin word for rejoice. So it means rejoice in Latin. So you can impress your friends by saying you learned a Latin word today. If you wish to. So it's where we focus. So in, t- in times like this, guys, um, we, tend to f- we tend to focus on the negative, okay, or on our stresses. Um, we have to do this. We have to do that. Um, it's a very high-pressure season. So Advent calls us to step away from that in this quiet stillness to remember what is truly important. And so this third Sunday of Advent, this God Ete Sunday, it's a celebration. It's a reminder that God loves us, that he is still in charge. And we don't wait in fear for him to come. We don't wait in nervousness for him to come. We wait with joy. We wait with joy. And St. Paul reflects on this in his first letter to the Thessalonians. He writes this, Brothers and sisters, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In all circumstances, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So, my friends, that's just a little background on the third Sunday of Advent and just a reminder. This is a joyous time. Yes, it's a time to reflect, um, to ask for God's grace, go to confession. There's that, there is that penitence that still happens, but now this is a joyous time. Christmas is almost here where we celebrate the birth of our Savior. Because without the birth of the Savior, there is no Easter. Without no Easter, there's no salvation for us. And we're still dead in our trespasses and sins. So it's a really joyous time. So reflect on that.
All right. So our topic today, my friends, listeners here on the Burt Toast and Coffee Show. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention, I actually don't have coffee today. Now, you're probably like, what is going on with William? Is he okay? Do we need to call someone over there to do a welfare check? Friends, I'm good to go. I have some tea here, and the reason I don't have coffee while I'm doing this show today is because I had three cups already. So I probably found it best to slow down a little, and I'll wait maybe an hour from now to have another cup because I do love my coffee, okay? Idolatry. Idolatry, idolatry, idolatry. We have this notion, I think, that idolatry doesn't really exist today or it's only for uh, those who practice religions that have idols, like Hinduism, for, just as an example. But, my friends, I think it happens more often than we think. And today I want to look at some examples in the Old Testament. And we're going to spend a lot of time in the prophets, okay, because the prophets – talk so much about idolatry and we'll talk about how it, it is, how it's here today and how we can guard against it. But I want to read this quote from Pope Francis. Um, so Pope Francis on his general audience on August 1st of 2008 says this, take this to heart. Idols rob us of love. Idols make us blind to love. And in order to truly love, we must be free from all idols. What is my idol? Remove it and throw it out the window. Those are some strong words from Pope Francis there. And I mention this because Pope Francis um, gets a bad rap sometimes. And I'm just going to put that like that's okay. Some online commentators love to demonize and take out of context and scrutinize every little word so they can get some nice clicks. So I'm going to show some love here. Pope Francis is against idolatry. And he says so. And we'll mention another quote later on. But let's go to the obvious. I want to go to the obvious example that we're all familiar with of idolatry before I dig into the prophets a little bit. Because this first example is from the book of Exodus. And you guys know the story. So the Israelites, so in Exodus, in Exodus, um, the Israelites are under slavery in Egypt, right? Moses arises to the scene. And he rescues the people. And, of course, you know, there's a lot to happen. You know, there's the plagues and all that stuff. But this is what is written in the book of Exodus. When the people, and, and this is in Exodus 32, so it's later on in the book of Exodus. So Moses has rescued the people. Well, the Lord has rescued the people through Moses. Moses um, the, Moses and the people, they were walking through the desert. The people started grumbling about how they were better off in Egypt, you know, because they had food and water and all that stuff. The Lord provides for them, and the people are still grumbling and complaining. And so here in this scenario in Exodus chapter 32, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. Okay, so I'm going to read the passage here. Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 4. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. 
So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who has brought you the land of Egypt. So I think we often lose sight that obviously Egypt was a polytheistic society, meaning they had many gods. And so the ancient Israelites, they were in this society um, for a long time. And they adopted some of those customs. So, yeah, here Moses is talking about, you know, one God. And surely there were some among the Israelites who certainly believed one God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. But as we can see here, there are certainly many others who say, okay, here, here's our God. We were able to see the gods in Egypt, you know, because they were these statues. And now they have this golden calf. And the calf was a sacred animal. In e the calf was a sacred animal in Egypt. So we've heard this story many times. I mean, many, many times, right? So the Lord had delivered Israel from slavery. The people grew indignant. So at this point, Moses had been on Mount Sinai for a long time. Um, and the, the people thought he like had abandoned them or something, or he died. My friends, what idols are in our lives? I bring up this story because there there are many idols that have all of us have an idol of some point some kind. Maybe not now, but you did in the past. And hopefully you will not in the future. But what is that? Let me ask you a question. What do you think of your priest that you're a parish? If your priest were to leave and go to another parish, would you leave that parish and follow your priest? If the answer is yes, it's possible you may be idolizing your priest. That's kind of hard to hear. I have a great relationship with my priest. I love Father Richard. Um, he's definitely a blessing. So just think about that. Let me ask you another one. How about social media? Whether it's Facebook, X, formerly known as Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Threads, TikTok, whatever it may be, YouTube. Now, don't be wrong. I'm not saying that social media is bad. I love social media. I'm on it a lot. Let's be honest. Those of you who follow me, I'm on there quite a bit. On Facebook, I'm posting memes. I do more serious stuff on my author page and Twitter and LinkedIn. I use my Facebook page more for the funny meme stuff. But that, that social media can become an idol in and of itself. Okay? With a click of a button, we can stay in touch with friends from high school. We can make connections in the world, around the world. We can sit, share the faith. Um, but even though this is a good thing, it can become an idol. If we're spending more time, if we're substituting social media in place of prayer, in place of reading scripture, God forbid, in place of going to mass, then we've made an idol out of social media. 
So a lot of times it happens and we don't even know it. So maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know, William, I don't worship a golden calf. No. You may not have anyone elevated to a position. You may. All right. So let, let me re, let me retrace my steps here because it's all that coffee that's uh, flowing through me right now. For many of us, our golden calf um, can be money, sex, cash, adulation, popularity, the need for validation. There is no shortage of idols. There is no shortage of things that have the potential to become idols for us. But there's always forgiveness. Let's jump into the prophets here, because I want to give some examples. So a few moments ago, I, will, I said that Pope Francis says that anything can become an idol. I mean, he warns us that idols promise things like happiness and acceptance, but they actually enslave us. Okay, And I just gave an example from Exodus. So the idolatry that we have today has much in common with the idolatry of our ancestors in faith, okay, the ancient Israelites. The prophets spoke the words of Yahweh. They spoke the words of God to a people who were lost and trying to find their way. So they worshipped idols and and sought the favor of false gods. Remember, I just went over this a minute ago. The Lord rescued them from slavery in Egypt and led them to the promised land. But time and again, the people of Israel strayed from the Lord, and time and again, Yahweh stayed faithful to them, showing everlasting love. So the prophet Jeremiah uses marital language to highlight the infidelity that the people of Israel have committed with their idolatry. And we see this in Jeremiah chapter 2, where um, Jeremiah recalls the initial devotion that the bride, which is Israel, had to her husband, God, Yahweh, before betraying him. This is what Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 2, verse 2. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Later on in that same chapter, in verse 20, so later on in the chapter, Israel's infidelity to the Lord is likened to a prostitute. And this is what Jeremiah writes, quote, in chapter 2, verse 20. Under every green tree sprawled and played the whore. Wow. So the image of the green tree is very significant to Jeremiah's accusation of, a, of idolatry. Green trees were identified with a goddess in the region of Judah and surrounding nations. There's also some evidence that the green tree imagery indicates worship of the gods Asherah and Ishtar, people of Israel worshiping these false gods. The people chased after the promises of false gods instead of the, instead of the one who saved them. The people ultimately say that they prefer strangers and go after them, serving their kings and other gods. And that's in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 25. The prophet Micah gives a scathing indictment of the priests and prophets for twisting the words of God, of Yahweh, and perverting them for economic gain. Hello, prosperity preachers. 
Micah describes priests teaching for a price and prophets practicing divination for money. And this is what Micah writes in chapter 3, verse 11. Its rulers give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets give oracles for money. So in ancient Judaism, the priests and prophets played a central role its roles as intermediaries between God and the people of Israel. The priests reference in this passage took bribes to do things, and the prophets took pay to serve favorable oracles, favorable prophecies. Yet here, they were abusing this sacred charge and committing economic idolatry. Money had become their god. Ultimately, God's judgment for the sins of the priests and prophets was the destruction of the temple. So, we are called to place God above all things, but idolatry places something else in place of God. We cling to these false gods for our security. We have, uh, both individually and collectively, betrayed our ever-faithful Lord more often than we think. That may be hard for some to hear. You know, we often make, um, we look at Judas during, you know, the Easter season. We're like, how could he betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? Yet here we are betraying him every day for free. I said what I said, and that's to me as well. So just as the Israelites chased after the false promises of fertility goddesses, Many in our pews chase after the false promise that sex and unchastity will give them. Um, they think that that'll give them the security of acceptance or pleasure. This is as much an act of idolatry as worshiping an image of Ishtar. So maybe, maybe sex isn't our idol, but there is something else in our lives that Satan uses to tempt us to idolatry. It could be the constant need to be busy. That's my issue, being up front with you a career, or like I said a moment ago, even social media. Or maybe it's money, the love of which Paul calls the root of all evil in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Now, we all need money to survive. We need to pay bills. We need to feed our family. And we need to fund the church's ministry. But sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that all we need is more money to make us happy or to find our security. So the truth is that happiness can only be found in God, and serving the almighty dollar leaves us unhappy no matter how much we make. Just as the priests in Micah's time were corrupted by the love of money, this idolatry can easily creep into the church today, and I strongly believe in some cases it has. Unfortunately, we've seen this. We have seen that some of the most popular leaders in the Catholic Church and by extension, the broader Christian ecclesial community have fallen to this. Just look around. They tell the people that they want to hear. They tell the people what they want to hear and fail to rightly preach the gospel. Now, to be fair, this has also become a major problem uh, within Protestantism with the rise of the prosperity gospel, which I can't stand. If there's one thing I hate in the world is the prosperity gospel. This sin does not stop with the leaders. As the leaders spread this message to their congregations, it proliferates, and it can continue from generation to generation. 
Idolatry is a real threat to the church and the souls it seeks to save. Therefore, the message of the prophets is one that we must preach often. That's why I'm doing this show today. Our faithfulness to God over all idols will be judged in the same light as the unfaithfulness of Israel in the time of Jeremiah and Micah. Is our church leading souls to God? Or have we placed some idol ahead of God that seeks to destroy destroy the church? So I guess what I'm trying to say, my friends, is that idols are not a thing of the past. But vanquishing idolatry is a pathway to the future. And I mentioned him at the top of the show. One of the people against idolatry is Pope Francis, who has emphasized the dangers of idolatry, not only for individual Catholics, but for the church as a whole. There are many idols that take us away from God. In a homily on October 15, 2013, this is what Pope Francis had to say. Some people think they're wise, that they know everything. But they become foolish. And he's quoting scripture in this part. And exchange the glory of the incorruptible God with an image. And then he says, it's myself, my ideas, my comforts. And guarding against the security of our own ideas as we move forward in our journey of faith should send us straight to the prophets heeding their warnings. Then he quotes 1 John 5.21, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. It's really the best place I could really leave this show. Little children, you, I, everyone, keep yourselves from idols. They offer false promises. They will not bring happiness. Only Jesus can do that. My friends, thank you for tuning in today. And thank you for your great support for last week's episode, The Problem Passages of Joshua. Had a lot of great feedback, and that show seems to be going up the charts here on Blog Talk Radio. And that's uh, all glory to God. All glory to God. If we could answer some of those tough questions about those tough passages, I mean, that's only going to be beneficial for the kingdom. And my friends, I wish you a blessed Advent. And I was asked, am I going to do a show next Saturday since it's a Saturday before Easter? Or Easter. Wow, I'm jumping ahead, aren't I? Saturday before Christmas. Absolutely. I will be here live, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All right. God bless you all. Have a great week. God bless you.